Ahoy! Ahoy indeed. Ahoy to all. It was a proud parenting moment. I was just telling <laughs> Welcome. Better they said I love you than, you know, something. To the or, home of professional podcasting. Professional all parenting. I told podcasting. you that's uh, Emma's favorite shirt now. She, it you should get. Looks super cute you should on get, her. Uh, so. Lots of lots of prints made. Hmm. It's expensive. It good. It's expensive to make a shirt. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, it's expensive to do just about anything. That's today. true. I went to put fuel in the truck, and diesel was four fifteen. I'm like, what is happening right now? That's real expensive, and That's it's probably gonna get worse. Yeah, I. It, yeah. Welcome to. We're not talking about politics today. <laughs> <laughs> Something to rant about. Yeah. So. It's, it's our premium content. The pre-show is something to we rant didn't have, about. Or so. we're running late today. No premium content today, so that's that. Instead, we're talking about home security, how to build a home where security in the relationship is a foundation for your children and reflects the love of God. Yes. So, do you know how many articles I've had to write about smart homes and the security that, like, smart home security has become like the thing right now? And eighty percent of Americans know, I've have seen a couple of movies about that. None homes. of them end well. We talked about that last week that, with Katie yeah. Segal. Yeah, smart so. house. But anyway, apparently, eighty percent of American homes have some sort of smart device, whether it's, you know. A security system or I, I keep watching these self-driving cars and things like that and Thank i just you. think of uh, will smith and irobot and i'm thinking i have not seen that movie nope i think i'll be uh i think i'll be driving myself what was the uh name of the robot in the jetsons oh uh she's like a maid if you hadn't asked me i'd probably think of it but if you know the name of the robot the jetsons leave it a comment Can somebody you, will know somebody will know maybe we'll give away a free mug no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Because that is classic totally stuff. relevant to what we're talking about today. Classic, Anywho. classic yes, stuff. Yes, home security. It's funny how many things were sci-fi at that point and, and are actual reality today. I remember so. watching, it was like 1999, because I was in sixth grade, and it, it was a big deal, the MTV Movie Awards. <clears throat> and all the advertisements were there was like, because it was on September 9th, 1999. I'll never forget that. I can still hear the commercials. And I think Chris Rock hosted. And so everyone was talking about Y2K that was coming up. And oh, yeah. And... Uh, Chris Rock goes, man. J-Lo dropping the big album about it. Yeah. And uh, Chris Rock was hosting it, so he was giving a monologue in the beginning. And he goes, man, we all thought when we were, kid, when we were kids that the year 2000s would be like the Jetsons. We're not even like the Jeffersons. <laughs> I'll never forget that joke. I probably have no I, right to say that joke. I can, I can hear Chris Rock saying yeah, it right I did now not say it like his, Chris Rock on purpose. With his smirk. So, anywho. Although right now when I think of Chris Rock, I picturing him as a zebra that's that's that cemented in my brain forever too <laughs> and i think i'm sure he's done other animated characters but because he's got a voice for it but just like i can't see eddie murphy without thinking about the donkey from shrek so anyway what are we talking about <laughs> dishonor on you dishonor. oh yeah that's a good one too well on, on your cow <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though when you when you look back at all the fear that surrounded that the yes. Y2K. I remember that very well. Know, the countdown, everybody freaking out that night. Unplug your computers. You know, everything's going to get destroyed and all that kind of stuff. And why did we think that? Uh, I don't know, because Prince had us partying like it was 1999. That's true. But there was so much fear. And, and you know, and fear is such a, it's like an, an endemic virus in sure. us that ever since uh, the fall, we've had these dominant negative emotions and fear is a big part of that. And so, um, you know, we've, We've talked, I think, on the podcast before uh, about the this, you know, vast epidemic of anxiety that mm. is such a huge, huge thing 
um, that people are dealing with all the time. And it's become an even greater problem since this pandemic started. Mental, yeah, the mental health issues. Right. And, and there are a lot insane. of factors that go into that. Um, right. I'm by no means a psychologist, nor do I play one on TV, but the I think it's difficult to avoid the reality of all the shutdown stuff being a sure. much bigger impact than the virus itself. Sure. And so when folks don't go to church, when they don't gather together Isolation. to spur one another on to good deeds, then you see an impact and it's it's lasting. And I think that's one of the reasons that um, suicide rates supposedly increased. Now I've heard other things uh, supposedly debunking that. I don't know who to believe anymore because somebody needs to fact check the fact checkers because so many of these fact checkers are- Don't say fact checker, we'll get fact checked. Grossly, grossly biased in what they do. And and then the people that refute them are biased in what they do. So it's really difficult to come across you know actual truth. But, but one thing that we can't escape from is the, the reality that people are living in fear. They, they live with anxiety and stress. And, you know, we've a, a big part of that is that we have a, a major void, a, a dearth, a, a lack of relational permanence. And so we grow up as kids getting used to parents breaking up, right. parents leaving, people coming in and out of our lives and all these sorts of things. And, and we kind of set that sort of thing up with the way we do dating in America. Mm -hmm. We treat, you know, we treat coupling as a game uh, so that every high school or even middle school and even even elementary school student has to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And, and it's the it's the norm to, you know, get into this, to whatever extent, intimate relationship and break up and do it right. again and do it again and do it again. And so we train ourselves for the breakup. We train ourselves. How many movies and songs are, are about breakups? Because it's hard that's to do. the norm. It is hard to do. It's fairly um, easy to do. But the, uh, the there's we we have a lot fewer things that are about permanence. Right. And that is a factor in how we, even as Christians, understand the assurance of God's faithfulness to us. And so when we look at the, you know, the Psalms, the picture, uh, you know, some are, are just clear, like Psalm 136 and, and some others that, that are repetitive and, and driving home the fact that God's love is faithful and endures forever, you know, and, and, and so the, uh, the people respond with this uh, sort of call and response thing that, that, uh, his love endures forever. And, and we just sang that song. Was it Sunday? Did we just do that Sunday? If we didn't, mm -hmm. we should have. It was one that was on the list. But forever? I think, no, I think we, we just did it the week yeah, before we or something yeah. like that. Anyhow, this this idea. Yeah, everlasting of, God, which I wanted to kept, keep singing everlasting love. And it was um, not the same song. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was waiting for you to go into that Lincoln Brewster electric <laughs> guitar solo on there. But <clears throat> we don't do a lot of electric guitar solos in church. No. But um, The... The point being that that so much of the anxiety that that we have is is rooted in this lack of permanence, lack sure. of acceptance, or, or lack of being able to trust uh, that we are fully accepted, and that bleeds over. I don't know if that's strong enough, but it, but it, it influences dramatically our understanding of God mm -hmm. and our ability to feel a trust and an assurance and a comfort in the Lord. And so when we sing songs like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, for many people, uh, that it, it smacks of irony because they don't feel that. They, they it, Rather than resting 
in the promises or standing on the promises of God, they're they're constantly striving and struggling and wondering, boy, why is my faith, you know, why am I struggling with my faith? Why is my faith weak? Well, because you have a, a false understanding of what the promises of God mean and what assurance actually is. To be fair, that's a large portion of that, I think, for some people, including myself, is that nobody on this earth is is going to 100% right. be everything you need, right. be there for you all the time. People are going to let you down. You're going to feel alone at times. Right. And God's just not that way. Which was never, all, that right. was never where we were supposed to right. find our fulfillment anyway. Right. But because that's all we know, are people right. letting us down or leaving or whatever sure. else? It's, it's, it's not just a, oh, okay, God will never leave me. Cool. Right. It's a work to, to believe that. Well, and it's interesting to, to see that we, struggle with that more now mm. than in previous generations. And I, when I say previous generations, I mean previous generations, um, you know, all the way back to, to Eden, you know, that as you look at, at the nature of things, we've never not had relationships break up. We've never not had people break promises and lie and, and fall short of the glory of God. But the, this anxiety and stress is a bigger issue now than at any other time recorded mm. in history. Now there may be other times before people were doing such things because that pretty much was you know 20th century stuff maybe 19th but as you're as you're looking back there was always perceived at the very least even though there was a failure to practice it perfectly there was there was an understanding that relationships ought to be permanent mm -hmm. that marriage is at its root at its nature a permanent covenant and when it isn't when it fails to live up to that something's wrong it's a failure and we've moved away from that in our society for the last you know three decades at least and probably five decades looking at this idea that there's really divorce is no big deal you know you don't really need a husband you don't really need a, a wife you can be a single parent and it's, it's perfectly fine you can adopt a child as a single parent you can be in a, a homosexual relationship or you can be in a long-term uh, monogamous or not monogamous uh, coupling that isn't marriage. You don't need a piece of paper. You don't need vows, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and so as we have deconstructed, if you will, what has throughout human history and, and very specifically in the last 2000 years of Christian history, uh, we've, we've torn down, deconstructed the, the traditional values that are rooted in the created order and in the scriptures, we end up with a reflection of God that says, not only is, is, is God, let me, let me rephrase this. As we look at it, the, the picture that we have was, has been, and, and ought to be that my parents, my husband, my, you know, th this is a picture of who God is and how he relates to his people. Mm -hmm. I recognize that that this person or these people are not God and they're going to fail and let me down just as I'm going to fail and let them down. But it gives me a picture of a God that I can trust. But now with that gone, it's not just a matter of I, I've been hurt in human relationships, but now I don't know another way. I don't understand how to have a relationship that is worthy of trust. So I can only picture God in the same way that that I grew up knowing my parents. When my parents are 
not primarily focused on this relationship. They're chasing their own things rather than mine or whatever different distortion we have. And we, we don't want to spend a ton of time on that today because we will run out of time if we do. Um, all of those things, that's normal. That's a reflection of God. And so when we get it wrong as parents, when our parenting isn't primarily focused on discipling our children, but on all of the other things that the world tells us parenting is about, the good times, the Instagram posts, the, you know, the affluence and good grades and, and all those kinds of things, really cute prom pictures. And uh, when we, when that's our focus, then what we're creating ends up being a very performance oriented right. relationship uh, in which acceptance is based on whether or not I live up to that. Mm. And that's not the love of God that we see. The love of God has standard, but once you are in the family, okay, so there's, there is a line. You're either in Christ or you're not. If you are not in Christ, you do not belong to God. Contrary to what people tell you all the time or all gospel songs might say, we're not all children of God. Not in this, We are all children of God in the sense of creation, but we are not children of God in a relational sense until we have received Christ by faith. We are actually described in the Bible as haters of God, as enemies of God. Uh, we, we worship ourselves and idols that we set up by our nature, not God himself. So even when we are religious in our, in our Christian practice, our natural tendency is to worship a God, worship even a, a Christ, using those words, those names, but in doing so, we are, um, we're worshiping a God of our own creating, that God is, is created in my image so that he fits what I think he should be, does what I think he should do, uh, works for my happiness and my prosperity as I define it, rather than a God who is holy and faithful and does what he knows is right because he designed everything and I learned to submit to that. So in our parenting, we have to not only teach that, but we have to model it and we have to reinforce it as, as we go through this. So as we uh, talked about the, the idea that discipleship-oriented parenting instills confidence by modeling God's unfailing love, we actually uh, looked at Psalm 23, which I think we can all recognize the 23rd Psalm is not a primarily a parenting passage, but as it reflects uh, the heart of David in understanding God as his shepherd, as his great king uh, who leads him, and also is understood by uh, those who compiled the Psalms and by the people of Israel as a picture of, of all of God's people seeing God as the shepherd and, and, and uh, understanding what it means to walk in the assurance of that relationship. Uh, this, is, this is placed in the Psalms in the section that is sort of a, uh, it's, it's a pre-exile portion. So in the, in book one of the Psalms, we see uh, what's going on, what's going to play out in the history of Israel, uh, really described in David's life and in, in his own experience. So, so these are very heavily, pretty much entirely or, or close to entirely uh, Psalms of David. In the next four books, we see, the, the picture of what Israel is supposed to, uh, what they're supposed to be in being the people of God and seeking God, but finding all this opposition, they turn away from God as God blesses them. And then they, uh, they wander as it were through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, as they are abandoned by God into exile in exile, they struggle and wonder, you know, is there any hope for us? Is there any 
possibility that we can be redeemed. Does God even care anymore? They end up then uh, seeing the promises of God yet far off, but but still for them. And so they find hope in the promises of God. Uh, and then finally, when those promises are realized and they're returned from the exile and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, now their, their songs of praise uh, are overflowing and they look back to, man, look, God never failed us. In all of these times when we walked away, he has been our hope. That didn't change. The difference was we did put our hope in him. But as long as we walked with him, he was never unfaithful to us. And so that all of that is kind of captured here in this picture in Psalm 23 of what it means to walk with the Lord and, and to understand the acceptance of that relationship. So even though I know it's very familiar with folks and I know we don't have a ton of time, I do want to make sure that we actually read the text of the Psalm and hopefully that will uh, kind of give us a picture of what it means as discipleship oriented parents to, to model God's unfailing love in, in our relationship with our children so that they can live with confidence, a free and victorious life in Christ. So um, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Uh, the newer rendition of the, of the NIV says I shall lack nothing. A mm-hmm. uh, little clarifying for us because I think a lot of times modern readers think, well, does that mean I don't want God? You know, No, it's, it's that I don't lack anything. Right. I, I, there's no want in my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So there's this picture of a calm rest in his full provision for me. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul when my soul is, is dry and, and I'm struggling and I'm fearful and anxious. God is my hope. It's, it's this relationship that I'm with him. Because he is my shepherd, I don't lack anything. He provides for me. He gives me reason to, to rest. He guides me, verse 3, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the way of right living uh, and justice before God, he guides me in these paths. So there's a discipline and an instruction that goes with that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in the very darkest of valleys, in this suffocating death uh, experience that I'm going through, I will fear no evil. That doesn't mean that there is no evil. It doesn't mean that there isn't a very real reason to be afraid apart from God. But I will fear this. I will not fear this evil that is present that seems to be engulfing me for you are with me. This presence of God, this unfailing relationship, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think sometimes we overplay uh, the, the distinction of the rod and the staff, but there's a reality to that, that it involves both the, the guidance and the protection, both the, uh, the instruction and the encouragement, both the correction uh, and, and the discipline that goes along with all of this. So God's discipline of me, God's uh, protection of me, both give me comfort in this. And then I think one of the things that we kind of read past a lot of the time is in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a picture of a, 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 uh, of a king inviting you to sit down at table with him as an, as a, an underservant or a vassal king under him. And I think that's the picture David has in mind is I am God's king mm-hmm. for the people. 
but God is the great king. And so I'm sitting at the table and he is expressing his approval, his acceptance of me, not because I'm good, not because I'm perfect, but because he is God and he has appointed me to this. And therefore, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We feast as the enemies watch you you express your approval to me. And the picture of the anointing with oil um, is is the continuation of that, that God is ordaining the king and he is giving this picture through the king of his relationship to Israel. My people are mine. My beloved is mine. I am my beloved's. I approve, I accept you, not on the basis of your uh, worthiness, but I accept you because you are mine because I've called you to be mine, now walk worthy. And that's a constant theme throughout the scriptures. Uh, He wraps it up in verse six. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. So this picture that, uh, that God in this covenant that he has with his people, with his king, with his people, that, that there is a a goodness, a righteousness, and a loving kindness and compassion that actually, uh, in this personification here, pursue us. That mm-hmm. that wherever I go, God's goodness to me, God's loving kindness toward me, follow me, pursue me without end all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's this refuge, this shelter of belongingness uh, that happens in this permanent relationship. So um, when we as parents model that kind of relationship with our kids, then they grow up understanding what it means to, to be loved even when I fail, to be accepted no matter what. Right. Not not that the sin is accepted, because clearly that's not the case. We have the rod and the staff, and God punishes, he disciplines his children to bring us to growth. And we need to recognize that it's, his love for us isn't based on performance. Right. His promise to love us is the blessed assurance we need. It's interesting to look at that. Like you said, almost everybody knows that passage, but it, it's interesting, and I'm glad you read it, to look at it through the through that lens hmm. because it does make perfect sense in this world where just nothing seems to be permanent. We want instant gratification and everything is disposable. And so I think looking at that through the lens of parenthood is it, it, it meant a lot to me. Um, I think I talked the other day or maybe last week or a couple weeks ago when my son, uh, the one of the shelves in the fridge with all the condiments fell out. He mm. was in the fridge and that shelf fell out. And I heard, mommy. And I ran in there and all the, you know, ketchup's all over the floor and whatever. And uh, always a good time. Yeah. And nothing, no bottles broke or anything. It was fine. But he was, he had tears. Dogs in his can look it up. Yes. Yeah, so it's, okay. if you don't have a dog, get a dog and you never have to clean anything. There you go. Um, so he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I, I mean, I got down on my, on his level. I said, are you hurt? Cause I didn't know if he'd, you know, something landed on him or whatever. He goes, Lands no. on his head. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you what happened. We'll talk after. Um, he goes, no, I said, you're okay. And he goes, yeah. And, and he goes, I'm so sorry. I said, I, it was an accident. I said, the most important thing to me is that you're okay. And I saw his little wheels turning and you know, I came, I come from a divorced uh, household. My son comes from a divorced household. So I think, and I, and I tell my mom all the time that I had, in my opinion, maybe I repressed things, but in my opinion, I had an idyllic childhood for what it was. I have no complaints about my childhood. I, because I, and I realize now it was because I always felt secure, no matter what was going on with my parents and their relationship and whatever, I always felt 
nothing is going to happen to me. My mom is always going to be here. I am always going to, you know, I'm always going to be safe. There was never a time where I thought, who is everyone going to leave me? What's going to happen? And I, I credit my mom a lot with that. Happy birthday, mom. <laughs> Happy birthday, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, not to make, you know, a bunch of anecdotes here, but uh, my son's preschool class, he's in preschool. And I went to parent teacher conferences a couple of weeks ago and his teacher informed me that I want to say like, there's like 10 or 11 kids in his class. And out of that seven or eight of them are in divorced families and come and are dealing with, you know, similar, I was telling it, talking about my situation. Mm. And I just thought, wow, that's just a huge percentage. Right. Yep. And she goes, and you, you know, you, a lot of these kids don't have the, the comfort of, of security and knowing who they're going to be with and it switches back and forth. And right. I can't even imagine what that's like. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's more of an issue, I think, than a lot of people realize today. And, and nobody, there are no perfect parents. No. You know, we didn't have them. We're not going to be them. Our children aren't going to be them. So we need to kind of let go of that I, that expectation that we're going to somehow be perfect because we won't. Right. But there is good and there is bad. There's right and there is wrong. And so we want to continue to work toward, in every way that we can, the the standard, the picture that, that God has given us. The better we reflect God and his relationship to his people, the better we communicate to our children, to ourselves, uh, to our spouses, to the world, who God is and how we can have a relationship with him. So, you know, when we enter into a relationship with God by receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, uh, and the two always go hand in hand, he, he he will not be Savior where he is not Lord. But when we receive him by faith, we recognize that our sin separates us from God. And there's nothing that I can do to earn that relationship. Right. I, can't, I can't win back God with my best behavior or my giving or whatever else. But I recognize that God actually loved me anyway, right. chose me anyway to be his child and sent his son to take my place to die in, in my place and, and receive my punishment so that I could become God's own righteousness. That's mind blowing. It's unreal. And when that grabs us, when that actually connects with our hearts, it's, it's essentially impossible to reject that mm. when we actually get it. Now, yeah. our sinful hearts are too hard to get it. So it requires God opening. Especially our... when people let you down so much. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and sin continues to reinforce that right. over like and over Like if you've been again. burned, your heart's going to be in heart. Trust me. I know. For sure. <laughs> and, and, and that creates a lot of obstacles. And, and just on a person, since you brought it up on a personal level, we've talked about it. Right. Having to overcome those obstacles right. That's why in I your know. relationship with the Lord. Right. You know, it's not just a practical every day. How do I live my best life now kind of thing. Uh, although obviously the the better we live under eternal principles, the better we live under daily practicalities, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. But the, the, the security that we have in him, when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we entrust him, <clears throat> excuse me, entrust him to be who he is, yeah, to, to be who he is, to, to give us that unfa unfailing faithful love. 
we enter into a relationship that can never be undone. That's the picture that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 of a love that is based on the character of the lover rather than the worthiness of the beloved. That's the the picture we see in the the story of Hosea and Gomer in the Old Testament as God demonstrates his permanent love for his people even amidst their unfaithfulness. We see this over and over, the, the book of Ephesians, the book of Romans. We see even in the culmination of all things in the book of Revelation and in the prophecies that lead to that with Daniel and Ezekiel and, and elsewhere, that God is always faithful. Mm-hmm. And even when it seems like he's not, he is. Mm-hmm. Our perspective might be limited. But when we are in the valley of the shadow of death, which, I mean, look around us. You know, we're constantly battling the darkness. When we're in the midst of that, apart from apart from God, absolutely, don't misunderstand. The threats are real. But when he is with us, those threats mean very little. Right. They're not less real. Right. They're just less relevant. Right. They don't matter because we are with him and his rod and his staff protect us and sometimes they protect us from ourselves. It's sure. the oh, internal yeah. and time. external Big threats. Time. And we have to do that as parents as well. Right. This one went fast. Um, <laughs> Don't they all? Well, uh, maybe not for the listener, but they all go fast for me. So. <laughs> well, we will stop there for today. Uh, if you guys have any questions, let, next week is our last week on this. Um, I won't be here, but we're going to do the podcast a day later next week. So I'm going to go to Disney World right. and I'll be back. Uh, so look for us Wednesday next week. And we'll talk about some of the things that, that you know, the gaps in this. Next right. week, we'll look at what happens when it all falls apart. When yes. when the house that you're building collapses and you have a, a you know, a disaster area that yes, you're sir. dealing with. Because that it's we're not going to get everything covered as far as how to do it. Right. So we got to get the principles in. And what do we do when things fail? So if you guys have any questions about that, feel free to email us at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or you can leave a message at 269-756-RLCC on the Anchor app or on Facebook or YouTube. Got 10 seconds to spare. So thank you guys for listening and we will catch you next time.